Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Darby Toth, a technical field services representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep with Western United Dairies. Welcome back, everyone. Hey, Darby. We're happy to have everyone. It's definitely a full spring a full swing spring around here. Oh man, spring fever uh, had a definition this week would be it. It seems like uh, we're getting pulled in a, a bunch of different directions. Um, we'll learn a little bit more about what I've been working on later in the episode, but I everybody I talk to seems to notice that lots is going on. People are kind of coming out of hibernation and coming out of quarantine as well. So Exactly. I think this week just kind of uh, combined two different things at once and it's been quite busy and quite long. So I'm excited to roll into the weekend and excited to bring our listeners a good robust episode. Me too. So really quickly, Darby, before we go over um, the episode, I wanted to offer a quick elections update. Norma, our steadfast office manager, finished up tallying ballots with our elections committee yesterday. We just had a couple of open positions. Um, Folks didn't, we didn't receive any nominations for, not a lot, but um, we just wanted to make folks aware if you're listening and you live in one of these districts and you're interested in getting more involved, we would love to have you. So um, districts one and two are Tehama, Glen, Butte, Yolo, Sacramento, Solano, and San Joaquin counties. They have an open seat for a board member position. So we do have one open seat on our board from that district. Um, District 4, which is San Joaquin and parts of Stanislaus County, has an open alternate delegate position, as do District 7 and District 9, which are down in your area, Darby, so um, Fresno, Kings, Tulare, um, parts of those counties. So we would really love to um, entertain folks who are interested in those positions. Just reach out to Darby or I, and we'll talk to you a little bit about what it means to participate in that way. And then, of course, the full results, um, instead of reading them aloud on the podcast, we will be releasing them in our weekly update, which comes out on Tuesday. And then we'll talk a little bit more about them next week on the show. Yep. And thanks again, Melissa, for the update. And yeah, if you have any questions or are interested in any of those positions, please don't hesitate to give us a call. Well, with that being said, let's jump right into an overview of this week's episode. We're going to have a market update with Tiffany LaMandola from Blimling, and then we're also going to have an environmental update. Melissa got to sit down with a Point Reyes seashore dairy producer, and we're going to listen in on their conversation as well. Yeah, I um, am really happy to have Jolyn McClelland, who is also one of our listeners, so uh, kind of excited that she gets to hear herself on the podcast, but um, if you haven't heard, the dairy producers, there are six dairies out in the Point Reyes National Seashore. Um, dairies, dairying in a national park isn't easy, and the last couple years have certainly been no exception for these folks, and right now they're kind of in a battle for their life, or their livelihood at least. Um, so we're going to learn a little bit more about that, and I really think folks will just appreciate hearing it and kind of learning more about what's going on and how they can help support those folks. So. Without further ado, we'll move into the market update. Thanks for joining us. We'll try to keep this short and sweet um, update on the markets and uh, what we're seeing. So I think um, the good news is we're getting back out of our houses <laughs> again for a um, little bit better numbers coming through as you know more vaccinations roll out. People are feeling a little more confident about going out. Um, just you know a few data points that we know that tell us um, that that's happening is obviously more folks uh, 
going getting through airports as TSA checkpoint traffic has, has definitely taken a boost. Um, we're also seeing some more promising uh, data out of the uh, restaurant sector. Um, we've heard some reports from um, different folks that they're seeing some of the busiest uh, volumes um, in their career. So that's really exciting because as you know, uh, food service is incredibly important to, uh, to move dairy products and certainly was a big hit we took last year. Um, things at retail level have been fabulous, but not quite enough to offset the losses in food service. So to see that sector starting to come out, come back um, is very promising. Um, I think because of that, the last several weeks, um, as food service orders started to pick up, you know, people really needed to kind of refill their pipelines. Um, I, I think the cheese market got a boost from that because what we were hearing is, um, you know, more orders from food service, but at the same time, I'll show you retail uh, numbers were also holding up. And um, so that kind of increase in demand was helping offset what is also a pretty well supplied market. Um, so we ran a little higher on cheese prices. I would say the tone has softened a little bit the last few days, um, in part of, of uh, because of the USDA announcement yesterday to put an end to the food box program, the uh, farmers to family food box program that we saw last year. Um, they came out and said, you know, they still have money to spend towards food aid, but they're not going to re-up or revamp that program that the money will be spent in, in different channels. So I think we're gonna probably continue to see an increase in WIC and SNAP funding and uh, direct dairy purchases through the Section 32 funding. Um, they also have a dairy donation program that they're um, still uh, rolling out. Um, but I, I think that to some extent, the market was still a little bit on edge as to whether we were going to see more rounds of these food boxes. And it was kind of keeping um, cheese prices supported a bit. Um, and so I think news of the fact that those will not roll out any further um, put, put some downward pressure on the markets uh, yesterday. But at the same time, all those good demand um, notes that I mentioned are still in play. I think um, we just, you know, we're not going to see those one pound um, blocks of cheese uh, thrown in the boxes um, anymore. Um, as I mentioned though, uh, as those food service numbers have been uh, gaining traction, uh, the really kind of exciting thing to see was that retail numbers were still holding up at the same time. Um, you know, it's hard to know what the new normal looks like for 2021. I, you know, we've heard a lot of people are really tired of cooking, and I think you're going to see them rush back to the restaurants. I've heard other people say they sort of kind of found themselves in the kitchen and have really enjoyed learning how to cook. So I. I think time will tell what kind of the new normal trends for people are, and I suspect it'll be mixed. Uh, when we look at retail data right now, it's a little difficult because we're comparing to kind of right when the pandemic first hit last year, and remember the really aggressive kind of hoarding levels. And so the year-over-year -year comps are a little bit strange, but even when we look back um, into 2019, um, that cheese price, uh, cheese retail sales are still really holding up, um, uh, still by double digits. We we do wonder though that it, you know at some point does the numbers here start to slide as people do choose to start eating out a little bit more than cooking at home. So numbers that we're watching pretty pretty closely. We know that. Um, I think across all of our dairy markets, we are definitely not in a situation where we're short of any supply. 
uh, cheese included, where total on hand of cheese stocks was up about 5% year over year for the last, last data we had in February. And you can see by this February chart, you know, certainly one of the larger um, Februarys, at least looking back in uh, recent history. So not, not in a situation where we're running short, certainly. Um, moving over to butter here too, I think the food service reemergence has been really good news on the butter front. Um, you know, prices had gotten pretty depressed in that market. We move, we move a ton of butter fat through food service. Think about all the uh, heavy creams and whips and just, you know, butter on the table. And so I think that this market has, has definitely benefited from those sales coming back. Um, here too, retail sales are still pretty uh, solid. We also, um, when our prices dipped to those pretty low levels down into the, you know, these kind of range here, um, we became pretty price competitive globally and started hearing um, of more butter fat being exported out of the US, something that we don't traditionally do a, a ton of, as you can see. Um, some of the highest numbers we've seen since back to 2014. Um, but now our markets have come back higher and the gap between us and world prices have been closed a bit. So now we're hearing um, maybe not quite as much interest, um, but it was nice to see at least a little bit of traffic moving. I think that helped tighten up the markets just a bit. Um, as with cheese, we have plenty of butter on hand, plenty of bulk butter on hand, um, up 17% year over year. Um, so there too, not, not in a situation where we're running tight on supplies. Um, so we really need these demand channels to, to keep um, firing uh, with all cylinders. Moving over to non-fat dry milk and also a very important uh, commodity in our pricing here in California. Um, our prices have been to sort of on a steady, slow glide up. Um, we have not kind of rocketed higher as some of the global price indices have, like uh, out of the global dairy trade, for instance. Um, I think that we are, our plants, particularly in California, have been running um, really full. So we're making a lot of um, kind of low heat, non-fat dry milk, not necessarily exports specs on, on, at least on all of our manufacturing, we certainly are doing some because um, our export traffic um, actually held up pretty well in um, February. And so, you know, our product is demanded, um, but we here too just still kind of have plenty on hand. And so the market, though it's been sort of steadily increasing, has been fairly range bound, um, uh, you know, again, long ways of running short on product. A big watch factor, I think, in the powder markets is going to um, be China. And China is difficult. The data out of there isn't always um, easy to dissect. Um, but a few things that we're hearing out of China is that you know there's higher milk prices there internally for them. They're focusing a little bit more on liquid milk. Um, they have pretty strong domestic demand. Um, there's been a lot of supply chain logistics issues that I'm sure you've picked up in the media of um, actually getting product shipped, you know, across the ocean. And so there's some sense of China, maybe, you know, an easy example is, you know, if, if they need two, they may be ordering four to make sure they get the two. Um, and so one thing we're watching really closely is if their appetites are going to stay as healthy as they've been, or were they simply kind of pooling some of the de that demand forward 
um, just to make sure they had the product um, they needed. That will be a really a, a key factor in strength in the powder markets as we head through the year. Way, um, not something we talk a ton about, but uh, this market has actually gained kind of the most steam of, of any um, in our dairy complex. Um, in fact, uh, if you recall, every penny increase in dry weight adds about six cents to the class three formula. Um, so this, or class three price. So this run up in weight prices is added up almost to a dollar per hundred weight on that class three side of um, the price. So quite remarkable. Um, it has been largely fueled by demand again out of China as they have been re uh, repopulating or rebuilding their hog population. Remember, they got hit really hard um, by the African swine fever, and they have been aggressively rebuilding their herds, and we have benefited from that demand uh, for whey, for feed. One other quick thing to note on the fluid milk side, you know, when the pandemic first hit last year, we got a really nice surge in retail um, demand for fluid milk. And that held pretty strong for most of the year. But as we started getting towards the tail end of 2020, we did see retail sales kind of slow back down. And I think where we've probably taken one of the biggest hits is the fact that, you know, not all kids have been on campus learning. Um, this is just a, a survey we follow. And um, the, the, um, the gray mark here is virtual only. So we're down to a pretty low amount. Um, only 12% of kids are virtual only um, with almost 60% back on campus. And so, you know, I think that there is a sense though that even though the schools are doing their best to still move um, food to the families, the school lunch isn't quite the same. You know, it's maybe not the same as having the kids there for uh, two, maybe three meals a day and um, not maybe moving as much fluid as we would normally have seen through the channels, even though I know many districts are trying super hard to get them back out to families that aren't on campus. There's just logistic issues there. Um, so we've seen fluid milk sales um, as of recent data um, down to about 18% of our total uh, milk production in the US. You know, that used to be closer to 35, 40%. Um, back in the early 2000s. So we've kind of seen a steady um, drop off on uh, fluid milk uh, consumption. Uh, meanwhile, as you all know, uh, milk production has been on really solid footing uh, for several months now. The last data we have is for February. We will be getting the March data next Wednesday. So that's coming up soon. Um, in February, U.S. milk production was up 2%, and so was California, a little bit heavier than that. Uh, we're at a 30-year high on the U.S. milking herd, so we have a lot of cow power, if you will, out there. Um, there are a lot of questions around, um, you know, I, I think probably California is we've likely maybe already hit our spring flush, um, from what I hear from producers, but other parts of the U.S. are kind of heading there now. Um, and so it doesn't feel like milk supply is going to contract anytime soon here, um, but there are various cap or base programs in place kind of sporadically across the US, a few here in California. Um, questions remain as to how much that will trim milk supply. I suspect it will have some impact kind of around the edges, but it's not like every creamery, every co-op is, is imposing these. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, we suspect we'll still see pretty solid milk production performance here in the um, months to come. One thing that we are watching, though, however, very closely and you are very aware of is the rise in feed costs. Um, you know, all eyes are going to be on the new crop corn. Um, we really just won't have a good feel for that until summertime. Um, we really need a good um, crop to go in to be strong. Um, right now, USDA came up with that planting intentions were down a little bit. Um, and so the markets have really skyrocketed here. And certainly, as I've been talking with producers, I think people were pretty well contracted, but I have definitely talked with some that whose contracts are running out now. We're kind of facing spot prices and, and um, you know, really hopeful that the new crop's going to come in good. That will set the tone, no doubt, for the latter part of 2021 um, as to what kind of feed costs uh, folks are going to be up against. Um, right now, what the markets have done, this kind of run up here, we figure just using kind of that dairy margin coverage feed model, you know, it's added two to three dollars a hundred weight to the feed cost. So no small numbers as we look at, um, you know, both corn and soy, uh, soy complex up as well. So a few things that we're thinking about um, as we as we look at the markets in 2021, I think we were all sort of hoping by now we'd have a lot more answers to things. And I think we still find ourselves with quite a few questions. Um, some of the things we do know, as I mentioned, is we have, we've got plenty of milk out there um, and, and across most regions of the US. Uh, we do have a really large milking herd. Um, and so, you know, that will take some time for that to reverse itself. Um, we know our, our feed markets are elevated right now. We know our dairy inventories are pretty well stocked, um, as I mentioned. Um, we know that the horizon is looking better from a demand, demand perspective. We're already seeing some of those numbers I shared with you um, start to improve. So it's feeling better um, from that perspective. Um, we know the government is going to be in the mix uh, with food aid and they have more money to spend. Um, but we know now, as of yesterday, it will not be via the food box uh, program. So that was a really big question mark um, that at least we got that answered yesterday. Um, what we don't really know, as I mentioned, is you know, what these production caps could um, do to milk supply gains over the next couple of months. And will um, creameries continue to impose those and at what level? Um, again, really watching this trade-off between retail and food service. We suspect both of those can't hold up at the elevated levels that they've been out um, you know, at the same time forever, though we might have a little bit of period here, here where they can. Um, China, 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 very important to set the tone in our powder markets particularly. Um, will that corn crop be knee high by 4th of July, as they say? Um, we'll all be rooting for that, certainly. And, you know, if it's not and we still get um, have some high feed prices to contend with, when will we start seeing milk supplies contract as a result? That will be a very important factor for later in the year. And then I kind of grayed out here, what does the government intervention look like under the new administration? I think we're starting to get a lot better feel for that. As I mentioned, I think they will pivot back to increasing funds towards uh, WIC and SNAP type programs and, 
kind of more government direct dairy purchases through such things like Section 32 um, funding. So we're starting again to understand that a little bit more. I would say, you know, one short month ago, um, there were still a lot of questions. Um, futures, uh, because of the, the strength that we were seeing in our spot markets, were really um, on the rise. In fact, we hit life of contract highs, both in the class three and class four futures market. It was pretty exciting to see. Um, as I mentioned, that kind of reverse course a bit. Uh, just yesterday, um, with that food box announcement, it kind of took the wind out of, uh, out of the sails a bit. But I would say that the markets are still at really good levels, um, you know, relative to what we've seen the past several um, months. And so um, I, you know, hope that anybody who, you know, needs some risk management um, strategies is, you know, this now is a good time, I would argue. And I'll show you a little bit more on that. Um, I wanted to throw in some information on the DMC program. Um, those of you that signed up for that, um, assuming you signed up for the 950 margin, you now should have probably received uh, two payments um, in, into, uh, from that program, both for January and February. Um, this is kind of how the math worked out if you had selected 5 million pounds a year, which was sort of the, the, the highest amount you could insure under that 950 margin. Um, the January payment rate was announced at 236 100 weight. Um, so applied to, you know, if you take that 5 million pounds and divide it by 12, um, you're looking at uh, 4,167 100 weights per month times the per 100 weight rate. Um, there was that sequestration, sequestration rate applied, so small deduction off the payment. So um, my math shows, and I've been able to check this with a few points, a few uh, folks, that your January payment should have been a little over $9,200, and your February payment, um, the rate was $328 a hundred weight, and looks like uh, just short of about $12,900. So um, if the numbers did not wash out that way for you and you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Um, we do run models, they're, they're just estimations, they're not perfect. Um, but by our look at things, it looks like the March payment could be even a little bit higher. And with pretty um, decent payments all the way out through August um, based on current futures uh, markets. So um, hopefully that will be helpful for those uh, folks that did sign up. Um, for those who need a little more coverage beyond 5 million pounds a year, um, the Dairy Revenue Protection Program has been really popular. Um, it is essentially buying milk price floors. And I wanted to show you um, as of yesterday where the floor levels in both the class three and class four markets were sitting relative to history. So the markets are really offering both in both um, markets, uh, both spaces, um, very good floor levels relative uh, to history you can see here. Um, so again, have any questions, please feel uh, free to reach out. Um, the premiums in that program have gotten a little bit high due to the volatility in the markets, but there's some ways to get around that. Certainly taking the layers of coverage is, is one way to do that. That's what I uh, had prepared for you today, I'd be happy to field any questions if there are any.
Thank you so much, Tiffany, for joining us and taking the time to put this together. You bet. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. We are so happy to welcome back our Director of Environmental Affairs, Paul Souza, today. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Sure, Melissa. Thank you for having me on. So, Paul, in the spirit of spring fever and a lot going on, we have a huge amount of updates from the Central Valley Water Board today. Just uh, some of it's housekeeping stuff and some of it is some pertinent stuff that members really need to be thinking about. So, you know, without further ado, maybe you could jump right in with some of those updates, Paul. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, Melissa, you and I both know, uh, you know, the water board is a big part of our members' lives, whether they like it or not. Uh, not always, uh, you know, um, a great influence or a great connection. But uh, if you're going to dairy in California, you're going to, you know, be engaged with your local water board. And you and I, you know, connect with uh, the water boards a lot. We speak yep. to them. We try to stay up on what they're doing. I mean, that's how we uh, benefit our members. I know you're talking to uh, folks from uh, Regional Board One all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking to Region Two also, yep. and um, so you know, regular communication with them, and it's a good thing to stay in regular communication, know what's going on with those folks. Uh, with the Central Valley Regional Water Quality Control Board, I have a um, conference call um, set twice a month automatically. It's been going that way for years. There's a small group of industry folks uh, that do that to stay up to speed. Uh, I, I don't know, you know. Yours, I think, is more informal. I don't know if you've got anything to, to say on how you communicate with Region 1 and Region 2. Yeah, I communicate as needed with those guys. Um, actually, gals, we work with two really awesome ladies in each region who lead the dairy programs. But whenever I need something um, or have a question on behalf of members, I can reach out via email or phone, and they're really on top of it. And We've always said, Paul, it's more of a partnership, I think, and that benefits everyone. It benefits water quality, it benefits the agencies, and it benefits the dairies to have a good open line of communication and a partnership surrounding water quality and, and best management practices. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I'm going to go through a couple of items from those uh, bi-monthly calls awesome. um, that, you know, are of uh, interest to some of our members, uh, you know, some not others. So uh, first item that I'm going to jump into is uh, a while back, it's been like two years, the water board sent out letters to about uh, 70 dairies in Merced County in areas of shallow groundwater, about less than 10 feet uh, of depth to groundwater, where the concern was that the lagoon may be intersecting with groundwater. And the water board is now getting ready to send out an about an additional 70 letters to dairies outside of Merced County in that same situation. So they're, um, you know, connecting with DWR uh, and whatever else information is out there on depth to groundwater. If they have information that depth to groundwater is less than 10 feet, they're sending out letters to dairies in those areas to determine, does their lagoon in fact intersect groundwater? If the answer to that is yes, uh, then they need to um, do something about it. So I, I want to prepare our members that, you know, if you're in an area where groundwater is relatively shallow, um, you know, kind of be expecting these letters or when you get it, you know, at least know what it is and uh, connect with your environmental consultant. And um, there's a survey that has to be done, you know, the height of your lagoon bank and the depth and ground surface. Um, so there's a bit of work that goes into determining whether or not the lagoon intersects groundwater. And then if it does, um, 
you know, I, that becomes very expensive. We're dealing with folks in Merced County that are trying to figure out ways, uh, you know, how they're going to fix this and how they're going to pay for it. Absolutely. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I know a few of our dairy producers that I'm, you know, friends with or know on social media have been working hard on this. They, they talk about it. They're very open to share, you know, the work that they're doing to make sure they're in compliance and that their lagoon isn't creating an environmental issue. I know a couple of folks have been lining their lagoons. It's, it's an expensive process. This isn't a, we've talked about this before. It's not a wave a magic wand and fix it kind of situation. It, it takes time and money and a big investment. So um, folks have been working on it for a long time. And I think about, sounds like about 70 more folks are, are about to join them. Yep. And I just, you know, want folks to be aware, um, to be prepared for that. And, you know, when they get those letters to know they're coming and, um, you know, to know what they've got in their hand when they get it. Uh, and they can always call me if they have more questions. Um, yeah, and this isn't just a Central Valley issue, Paul. You know, um, the North Coast Water Board notified us at one of our CDQAP partners calls recently that they're also going to be doing a survey of um, lagoons and their uh, potential impact to groundwater and depth to groundwater starting in Sonoma County and then moving north. So it's a big concern for all water boards. We have a little bit of a different geographic and hydrologic situation here, but it's something all dairies need to be paying attention to for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Next, I wanted to jump into enforcement. Uh, so the Water Board has taken on uh, new enforcement direction in the last couple of years, and I've been helping a couple of members that find themselves in this situation. Um, just, you know, a, a reminder uh, for our members, like it's the same things we've been saying, um, you know, understand your regulations and uh, uh, comply with them. Uh, submit you know, reports on time uh, and complete, and then, uh, you know, follow through on your manure management. Uh, make sure that, you know, the dairy is uh, clean and tidy and uh, presentable. Uh, you know, that's for the water board or for the public and just a nice clean place to work also. Uh, so, you know, that's a small number of folks, but um, it's a place that, you know, a dairies definitely don't want to find themselves. And so uh, just, you know, another reminder, we always give this reminder, but there's a good reason to do that because, uh, these guys that are finding themselves in this enforcement situation, um, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult um, situation to deal with. And I would just add, Paul, that if you're nervous about it or if you have questions about a practice that you're implementing, it's, it's totally welcome for you to call us or to call your um, consultant and just do a walk around. In fact, I would recommend that maybe even annually or every couple of years, walk around with your consultant or your field rep or, you know, Paul and just check out things on the dairy and make sure most folks are doing a really good job, but it's always good to check in and have a, an extra set of eyes on, on your farm. Yep. And I do get those kinds of calls, Melissa, you know, like practices, Hey, I'm doing this. Is this all right? People do call me on that. And then something else that I do offer is um, I can review people's annual reports. Uh, Western United doesn't do that anymore. Uh, but you know, if you have a consultant that's doing your annual report, you're wondering, you know, hey, are there any issues with this? Are there any red flags? I'm happy to review that and go over and say, you know, hey, you know, this number, this doesn't look right, or, um, you know, this could be a red flag, that kind of thing. So uh, it, we do offer them, as you know, Melissa, you know, yeah. to help our members understand the regulations and what, where they fall within those. Definitely. Uh, so the next thing I wanted to jump into um, is that when the Dairy WDR was adopted in 2007, it was petitioned by environmental groups to the State Water Resources Control Board for review almost immediately. Um, that order was revised and readopted in 2013 um, in response to that petition. And when it was adopted, the new revised order, it was petitioned almost immediately 
again, by environmental groups, um, looking to review it and looking to, uh, you know, make it tougher. And it sounds like we're kind of hearing that the State Water Resources Control Board uh, may be about to release its review on that. Uh, we don't know when, we don't know what they're going to say, uh, but this, you know, could potentially um, have an impact on the regulations and how dairies comply with them. So we're watching this closely, uh, just something for folks to be aware of, you know, if a few years from now they're like, hey, why did things change? Well, this is why potentially. So uh, we are watching these things, you know, as they happen. Yeah, just like we can't remain stagnant in the industry, we have to kind of always keep moving forward and, and looking at new ways to do things. The water board is the same way. They have a, a lot of oversight by environmental groups and yeah. they have to take that really seriously. Yeah, I, I, that drives them a lot. There's a lot of drive by lawsuits and, um, you know, badgering by uh, environmental groups um, yeah. to push them, uh, you know, sometimes beyond where they really need to be or what they really do. Uh, but folks are always pushing on them to, to try um, to do more and go further. Definitely. It doesn't always make a lot of sense, but uh, there's a, a give and take there. And unfortunately, <laughs> I think as dairy producers, they have to take a lot of what's given to them. Yeah, yeah. So the last thing I had uh, is I've gotten calls from several uh, dairy producers who have received their bills from the Central Valley Dairy Representative Monitoring Program. Uh, those normally went out in January. Uh, this year, they're delayed, and folks are just starting to get those, depending on where you're at. Um, if you are not in a priority one CV salts management zone, uh, you probably got those last month, and they were for the same amount that they've been in the past. Um, the monitoring cost has gone down a little bit, but the cost of compliance with the salt component of CV salts is added in there, but uh, it's a wash because of the reduction in monitoring costs. Um, basically evened out with the increased cost of uh, the SALT compliance. However, if you are in one of the uh, priority one management zones in the Tur uh, Turlock, Modesto, Chowchilla, Kings, Cahuilla, or Thule groundwater sub-basins, uh, your CVDRMP bill is going to look different. Uh, there is going to be the additional charge for the nitrate control program for your local management zone. And they are based on local management zones. So uh, if you talk to a neighbor, you know, a little bit over in a different management zone uh, and, you know, you've got different bills, uh, that's because, you know, it related to the cost of the local management zone. So one of the questions I've gotten a lot is, you know, do, do others have to pay this? I've gotten the question actually from several closed dairies uh, that are no longer members, but, you know, they still have contact with me and they call me and say, hey, if I got out of the dairy order and got into the irrigated lands program, can I get out of paying this extra bill? And the answer is no, because if, if you have a permit with the Regional Water Quality Control Board, everybody will be paying that. So the folks in the irrigated lands program, they're going to pay that. The folks in the bovine program are going to pay this extra cost. The folks in the dairy program, if you run you know, a, a municipal wastewater treatment plant, if you run a food processor that has a permit from the water board, uh, you're going to get this uh, bill. So um, you know, it, it's not just dairy, and that's an important thing to know. Uh, you're seeing a bill go up, uh, and if you're thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to dodge and go somewhere else. I'm going to get out of the dairy program and go into the irrigated lands program because I no longer have cows on my place. Uh, you're going to see that same uh, bill there, too. So that's just something to, you know, let folks know. Uh, if you have questions on that, you can give me a call. But uh, 
those bills are coming out. People are asking about why they're late, why there's extra charges in there, why the bill looks different. Um, and those are the reasons. And if you've got questions, I'm always available to help answer them. Awesome. Well, we'll also have a little information on that in our um, update in the next couple of weeks, Paul, just so folks can see in writing exactly, you know, how those things might look different, those bills. And, um, and if they have questions, again, please reach out to us. We're here for you. We're happy to talk through some of this stuff. We know there's a lot of, um, now that the coffee shops are open, there's a lot of coffee shop talk out there about some of these things. But if you're curious or something doesn't sound right, go ahead and, and give our office, Paul, or either one of the field reps a call and we can, we can work through it. Yep, always happy to answer questions from members. And I uh, was planning to uh, write these things up uh, as an article for our update, Melissa. And so I uh, wanna make sure I reach you know as many people as possible, whether they're podcast listeners, readers of the update, um, you know, we want to reach out to folks and uh, let them know what's happening in the industry. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us again today, Paul. And we always love having you on for updates. It's, it's a lot. Um, and we realize that and it, it's, it's not unmanageable, but we're happy to help you manage it however we can. So thanks again, Paul. We'll talk to you soon. Exactly. Anytime. Thank you, Melissa. Bye. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Welcome to the podcast, one of our dairy producers from the North Bay and an avid listener, I'm told. Um, thanks so much for joining us today, JoLynn McClelland of Robert McClelland Dairy and R&J McClelland Dairies. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks, JoLynn, for joining us. Uh, we It's kind of under sort of hard circumstances that we're talking today. You have a really great story to tell. Um, but there's a lot going on surrounding your dairy, um, specifically your dairy that's located out in the Point Reyes National Seashore. So maybe really quickly before we get too much into that, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Sure. And thank you for having me. And thank you, Washington United Dairies, for providing this podcast. Um, it is for someone who uh, is on the go, it's a really nice way to um, stay up to date on everything. Um, so uh, JoLynn McClelland, I was formerly, before I got married, JoLynn Mendoza. Um, I grew up um, out on a dairy in the Point Reyes National Seashore, as Melissa said. My dad um, is a past uh, board member, uh, Joe Mendoza Jr., who passed away in July, 2015. Um, I have dairy um, many generations on both sides of my family. Um, my mom's side, I'm sixth generation. Uh, my uh, ancestors on that side came from the Swiss Italian um, part of uh, Switzerland. Um, dad's side, uh, grandma's parents, Irish, milk cows and woodland. And then, which brings me to my grandfather's side. My great grandparents came here from the Azores in the early 1900s and uh, started the dairy that my brother currently operates and where I grew up in 1919 and also the neighboring dairy 
that my cousins now run. Um, and so we are, my brother, my cousins, um, Robert and I um, are three of six dairies out in the Point Reyes National Seashore. Point Reyes um, in the 1960s caught the eye of Lady Bird Johnson. Actually, I even think John F. Kennedy sort of had his eye on it. Um, it is a beautiful landscape, a beautiful peninsula um, in Marin County, about 40 minutes north of San Francisco. Also happening, the story is told at the same time, um, there was interest in developing the peninsula and the surrounding um, areas surrounding Tomales Bay. There was a lot of concern that the area would turn into something that would look a lot like Monterey Bay. So there were fierce advocates of protecting um, the peninsula and at that time, agricultural land trusts really were non-existent at this point. Right. So at first the ranchers, which um, you know, at that time were many more dairies and there's also a lot of beef cattle ranchers out there as well. Um, they fought the government coming in and buying their land at first. Um, it was not really something that they wanted to do. But um, for people who are more than aware or maybe aren't so aware, once the government has their eye um, on your property, there's really not much you can do to fight it. Uh, eminent domain comes in uh, at some point. So the ranchers were able to negotiate um, something that they thought was a fair way to go forward, knowing that in the end they were gonna have to sell. Um, so they uh, sold the land, but then also had the agreement that they could have, depending on each family took a little different kinds of leases. My family took a 20 year lease. With the um, stipulation that they could renew that lease when the 20 years were up, as long as it stayed in the family and stayed in agriculture. Um, so we're, so we've gone through a couple cycles of 20 year leases. And um, about 10 years ago, there was a um, lot of attention surrounding a um, oyster company that was also in the park that did have a different kind of a lease, but it brought a lot of attention um, to the area. And it got the Department of the Interior involved. And at the time it was, um, Secretary Salazar, he was under the Obama administration. And they um, decided to not renew the oyster lease, however, announced that they did want to um, renew 20 year leases for the ranching families. Apparently what that creates or uh, triggers is the NEPA process. So the park had to do a study before they could issue said leases. So Julian, really quickly, for those that may not be aware, NEPA is basically the federal equivalent to CEQA. And I think a lot of dairymen and anybody that lives in California knows about CEQA. It's a pretty rigorous process. So that's what NEPA basically is at the federal level. Correct. So uh, they started the process and we were all very engaged all along. Um, we attended every workshop that came out of this. We all submitted letters. Um, our um, support agencies, such as Washington and I Dairies, everyone was very involved. 
And then along came uh, three groups that wanted to um, challenge the um, ranch management plan. They really wanted the park to do a general management plan. So they were, there was a life lawsuit filed from three groups, Resource Renewal Institute, the Center for Biological Diversity and the Western Watershed, Watersheds Project. That was filed in February, 2016. So um, there were a group um, of ranchers and also we, we had formed a Point Reyes Seashore Ranchers Association. We all um, intervened as well as the County of Marin. And so uh, there was a settlement agreement and coming out of the settlement agreement was that the park needed to switch gears and um, do a general management plan, which is more intense and um, just a more intense look at the impacts of ranching um, on the peninsula. So they've gone through various steps and uh, in the fall, the park announced their, so they had different alternatives that they looked at. One of the alternatives that they had to look at that came out of the settlement agreement was also no ranching. So they had various um, different options, no ranching, no dairies, um, expanding ranching, all these different alternatives. What they finally, what the park released in the fall was that they, their preferred alternative was um, to sort of basically keep the ranching as is, cattle numbers as is, operations as is. However, nothing can ever be just as easy as this is our uh, alternative that we've chosen. And this now sparked, they have to get the, um, basically the blessing from a couple different agencies, um, such as Fish and Wildlife, um, some different groups, and now coming up on the Coastal Commission. Yeah. So there is a hearing coming up on April 22nd um, with the Coastal Commission, specifically what they're looking into are what's going on with the waterways in the park, and if the park service is doing enough to protect them and if they need to get involved to do more monitoring. So with upon this hearing coming, this has really fired up the opposition. Yeah. We have a couple groups that oppose us, not only ones that are interested in um, water quality, um, but there's also groups um, that are, um, Tule elk activists. So one of the big issues um, <laughs> that's gone on with this entire thing um, is the herd of Tule elk. There are two main herds of Tule elk um, in the park. There is one that's free roaming. They're known, they're um, referred to as a Drake's Estero herd. And they currently are roaming on um, a couple of the dairies uh, land. When so you drive out in the park, they're pretty recognizable. Like I always take a picture when I'm out there because you'll see like seven or eight bull elk kind of congregating in an area and they're, the, the cows are often out grazing alongside the dairy cows out there. So anybody who's been to Point Race Seashore could probably, you know, recognize that herd. Yes, they're very, very visible. 
And as anyone can imagine, um, they can be a challenge for those ranches that do have them on it. There is also the Pierce Point herd, which um, is out on the Thule Elk Preserve on the end of one of the peninsulas, and they are fenced in. Said fence isn't always 100% maintained. There are some that come out, but that is their designated spot. It's actually the ranch that my grandfather was born on um, back in 1918. So there's a lot of controversy surrounding that herd, um, as one can imagine, who's familiar with raising animals, herds have a natural um, cycle of sometimes getting too big, and there's going. You know, they're trying to quote unquote manage them as natural as possible. So there's yeah. a natural um, cycle of animals dying, and then the herd grows again, and then animals die. Well, we are now in a cycle of some of them. Um, they, they released a study where the herd has um, decreased by over hundred animals from 2019 to 2020. And so um, elk activists feel that the ranches should all go away and that the pastures and water and everything should be turned over to uh, the Thule elk. So you sort of have these two groups um, that have merged in some ways, maybe simultaneously working. Um, there've been um, an increase in protests out yeah. in our area. Um, one, our neighbor, um, unfortunately for him, took the brunt of one of the protests. They showed up at his place. He has a long driveway. Luckily he was able to shut a gate, but they were out in force. Um, there was media there they said some horrific disrespectful things to his face um unfortunate situation and i'm so sad that he had to go through something like that um but it's reality of the way these people want to operate at the same time there's also um the people that are sort of focusing on the water quality issue piece um they've really ramped it up in the press and have reached out to local journalists. And there's been some articles ran, um, some, yeah, some more favorable than others are more fairly balanced than others. Um, but it's pretty much the typical, the headline sounds atrocious against the dairies. You have to read the whole article to hear sort of the balance. Um, but that's the way we know that the press um does things so yeah unfortunately I, it's kind of a if it bleeds it leads situation and I know um we all worked with a reporter from the Marin Independent Journal this week he wrote a really good article it was fair but it was pretty long and the portion of it that ended up on the front page wasn't as balanced as the rest of the article so you kind of had to flip through to get the the remainder of it and Really good comments from the folks we partner with at the San Francisco Bay Water Board. Um, Paul Souza from our office spoke to them and had some really good things to say. And they did quote um, you in the article. It was great, but the very 
first few paragraphs were really um, a little more negative towards what's going on. So if you only read those first few paragraphs, you probably got a kind of a different idea about the situation. And just for context for folks, only about 20% of the land that encompasses the park is used for ranching and dairying purposes. It's a vast landscape out there. It's massive. And that's still thousands of acres that, that ranches and dairies occupy, but it, it is only 20% of the park. So um, it, it, I think a little bit, it's been mischaracterized in the media and on social media that you guys are just kind of, you know, taking over the park and, and degrading the waterways and the pasture lands when in fact, because of the way dairies and ranches operate out there, there's been a, a massive effort to preserve and protect that environment. It's a great place for tourism. I feel so lucky when I get to go out there. I only make it out there two or three times a year, um, especially lately, but it, it's a great place to go for a drive. You can visit the beach, you can see cattle and, and kind of to add to the story, these aren't just big rolling CAFO cattle ranches and dairies. They're, you know, oftentimes three to four acres per animal for grazing purposes. Um, they're historic ranches. They're all designated historic places. So for example, the dairy you guys operate is the historic L Ranch. Um, and they're a really cool way for people to learn about our local food system. I know um, one of our dairies down by the lighthouse, the Nunez farm, um, Betty, who I worked with for years, her grandkids run the dairy now, but she's in her 80s and probably is one of the best PR reps the dairy industry has because she's out there in the summer when people are traveling and talks to them about what it means to produce dairy products on the North Coast and have a local food source. So um, it's really unfortunate that there's been kind of this mischaracterization over the last few months and, and kind of last few years about what you guys mean to that landscape because really um, the benefits to the, the preservation of rangeland, the you know reduction of fire risk, the local food system that is out there. The probably it's probably a huge carbon sink if we want to get into it. I don't know that anyone has studied that, but you know far more land sequestering carbon than there are emissions out in that park. So it's just been it's been a lot and I, I feel bad I, I agree with you um, you know your neighbor that had that incident a few months ago one of the nicest guys um, I think one of the scary things for you guys out there is that um, you're out there but your employees live out there in a lot of cases right alongside you so when these protesters who aren't often peaceful come out it also puts the families that live on your farms at risk it's, it's can be a pretty scary situation so. Most definitely. And I think that's sort of the sad thing that also people lose sight of real quick. We're, we're human beings. Yeah. Uh, we have families, we have feelings. Um, we have children that live on these farms. And I can tell you, uh, Robert and I, our home dairy is in Sonoma County. And there was, um, there have been times, um, where we've been put on alert that there's activists in the area. And um, I, I try not to involve my children too much or um, scare them in any way, but they wonder why uh, all of a sudden mom's shutting the gate at the end of our driveway. And I have to say, well, there is a chance that protesters could come 
And it was one of the saddest things. My son was maybe about six years old, you know, a couple years ago when they were pretty active at the duck farm down the road. And he just, you know, they're kids and they don't understand the context. And he has a show rabbit, you know, to show in 4-H. And he was like, are they going to come and take away my bunny? And I just got, you know, just that moment of realization that these people are also affecting kids. And there's just something about just leave the kids out of it. And yeah. I understand this is our place of business, but this is also our home and our employees' homes. And just, uh, it's just a, a level of disrespect uh, or maybe just people have lost sight a little bit of what they're, um, what they're doing. Um, also, I, sh- I should have mentioned the main focus of the, um, the people who are focusing on water quality um they have put some articles out there um apparently they ran some of their own tests in january when we had like the one and only rainstorm where any test could happen they um claim that they have um results um where accounts coming out of particularly my dairy and two other neighbors are high now mind you as melissa said these these ranches are um big they're mm-hmm. probably thousands of acres yeah and the median milking herd of the six is probably 300 cows i personally we have 150 anyhow just to put some things in context um so there's not such great press um kind of smearing us saying that we're polluting and trying to imply that the water board is doing a special investigation into us now that we um have these high counts and this group has brought it forward thankfully melissa reached out to the water board um on our behalf because all three of us were like wait a minute we're being specially investigated we haven't even contacted by anybody I think sadly your names were in the paper before you even knew what was going on, which is pretty frustrating. Exactly. Apparently um, they were able to get our information through public uh, document um, inquiry. But anyhow, um, they, um, so we're really not, it's not necessarily a special investigation. We're just going to have our annual inspection as most areas in the state of California now all are open to having. Um, But, you know, like Melissa said, um, I guess it makes a more sensational story um, if you're gonna um, make it sound a little scarier than it is. Um, I think what the context that's lost on most, you know, general population that reads the newspaper is, dairies are under a a general order with the water board that's true throughout most of the state you guys send an annual report in we do our own water sampling in the park um, and that happens every year there's a quality assurance program plan that's been approved by the water board we don't know what the sampling protocols that were used by the group that did the monitoring but I will say that Honestly, we didn't take a lot of samples in the park this year because you can't sample stagnant water um, for water quality issues. 
We, um, as part of the group monitoring program, sample for ammonia, pH, electrical conductivity, temperature, and turbidity. So um, when water's really flowing through there during a storm, we have trained samplers that go out and take samples. Um, and this year, it just wasn't possible. As you mentioned, January was the only real storm that happened, and there's always a little bit of first flush reaction um, in the waterways. Um, and we don't know what that water or those high bacteria samples are attributed to. It could be birds and wildlife, it could be decaying plant material, but it was pretty frustrating. I, I kind of really lost it. I called the water board right away and they did do a good job of reassuring us. They've been doing their job very well out there. They've engaged with you guys since 2003 with a waiver that went to a WDR this last year, but it was pretty frustrating to see stuff in the paper. And as a person who knows the context and knows what's really happening, I knew it was wrong, but the general population doesn't know that. And, and I think um, that's where we run into trouble. I had dairymen calling me because their cousin and, you know, Glenn Ellen read the article and they live in a cul-de-sac and they're like, oh my gosh, you're in trouble. And what are you going to do? And really nobody's in trouble. It's part of the routine inspection process. They're investigating the claims made by the group that did the monitoring for sure. They're checking up on that. If there are issues, the dairies welcome the water board coming out. If there are issues, you will work hard to correct them just as we always have. I don't believe there are really significant issues out there. I, I crawl around those dairies every fall with you guys and um, they always look really good. The winterization best management practices are in place. And, and so we'll see what happens with that. But it's another instance of kind of just kind of getting smeared a little bit in the media when it's undeserved, you know, it's, it's, and, and when you don't even know well, that there's an issue. <laughs> well, and then the frustrating, um, other frustrating part of this that uh, I learned this week, um, Melissa being a due diligence, <laughs> she attended the water board meeting via Zoom where the executive officer gave a report lining out everything that Melissa just said that, um, as far as the relationship has been with us, we've always been in compliance. We turn our reports in on time. They haven't had issues. They've actually noticed over the years that the, it, the quality's improved coming out of the dairies. Um, but sadly, um, Melissa was the only person from the public there listening uh, to what the executive officer had to say. There was no one else from the public and even more disappointing, I guess not surprising, the journalists who, to me, if you want to get the full story and really roll up your sleeves and research the issue, um, to be fair, you should have been on that call listening to what the executive officer had to say. But I guess that's not the world that we live in anymore. And um, it's sad. Um, and it is on a personal level, it is really hard to go through this. And to see your name in print and then make it sound like you're just this horrible person to have, you know, like the poor neighbor protesters screaming in your face, how you need to go away. We don't want you here anymore. Um, it's hard. And I really sympathize with people who've ever had to go through this because, um, you know, we're farmers. We're, we, we just normally like to just put our heads down and work get our job done. I was telling my cousin today, you know, a lot of us, 
milk cows because we like being around cows more than people. You know, we, we've chosen this life to sort of, I'm not saying complete isolation, but, you know, we, 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 um, we like to just do our business, raise our families and, um, sorry, uh, and just do the, what, what our families have been doing for generations, living in an area that frankly, I mean, animals have been there since the mid 1800s, um, maybe even longer because it's Spanish also um, had the peninsula before um, the US took over California. Um, but I, I, I do really appreciate um, Western Eye Dairies, Melissa and Paul have been amazing through this whole entire thing. Um, Anya even sat down and met with us a few years ago. And uh, we're also now getting a lot of guidance from CMAB, which is another huge um, help because, you know, for a while we, we weren't commenting and we weren't saying anything. And it just got to the point where it's like, you know, this is almost getting a little ugly and we also don't want to see this give the whole industry a black eye so um hopefully with everyone's guidance we know we're not going to change the people that want us gone or the the extreme groups um it's the middle of the road people and consumers and neighbors and friends the cousins in Glen Ellen who are calling <laughs> worried what kind of trouble are you in that we would just like to get um, the more fair side out and some of the real facts um, that aren't being um, reported on. Absolutely, and I, I have honestly, I've been feeling the stress of, I, I don't have to live it every day, but this week especially, I, I lay awake at night thinking about like, gosh, I hope Bob's doing okay, or I hope Jolene and Robert aren't worried about this too much. It's a lot of stress and it, it really hit and magnified the last two weeks. I'm sorry that happened. I think, I think what you said is important. And we always say, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. And I think as, as an agriculture community, we have to remember that we are good about keeping our head down, working hard, putting food on the tables of, of our local regions and our country. But we got to do better, I guess, about being proactive and telling, telling our story and the good things that are happening. I mean, this is a dream place to dairy. If you're a little bit nervous about where your dairy products come from, you probably want them to come from the Point Reyes Peninsula or the North Bay. I mean, instead of a couple of cows per acre, a lot of these dairies are a couple of acres per cow. I mean, they're really out there and not saying that that's good, bad, or otherwise compared to other styles of dairying, but for folks that are really concerned about, you know, organic and grass-fed this is this is a great place and you guys are implementing a lot of you know cutting-edge technology really innovative practices you're doing the right thing and I could safely say that about all six dairies out there and it's just hard to see even one of the most revered styles of dairying kind of dragged in the news and um it's it's been a it's been a couple of years it's been a long couple of years and I really applaud you guys for sticking with it. I know it's hard and some days it might be easier to just kind of throw in the towel, but you know, what you're bringing to the West Marine community and the greater North Bay is so important. So thanks for being willing to share your story today and, and going forward. I know, it, I know it opens you up to a lot. 
Thank you. And thanks for, you know, as I said, helping and then giving us the opportunity to tell the story um, on this platform as well. Absolutely. Jolyn, before we let you go today, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or um, consumers or other dairy producers or about how they can help or what they could do for you guys leading up to, you know, leading through the next couple of weeks? Um, in the here and now, um, I believe the comment period will be closed by the time the podcast airs, but um, I don't know if there's any other ways to reach out to the Coastal Commission between now and Thursday. Um, Op-eds, you know, if anyone's interested in writing anything on ranching's behalf, that would be a huge help. Um, Or even anything maybe just explaining and sort of (laughs) shedding any sort of doubt on the way. maybe some of these samples were taken, um, anything like that. Um, and just, just knowing that um, we have industry supporters means a lot. Um, and that's all I can really say at this time. Yeah, there might be more down the road. Um, if this um, Coastal Commission hearing goes the way that we're hoping, and the Coastal Commission um, okays the park to proceed with their um, preferred alternative, there most likely will be a um, lawsuit challenging that as well. So this, we're almost there, but it might have a little longer to go. We'll we'll definitely keep in touch with you guys about how it's going and what producers can do. And I do believe at the beginning of this, there was a fund set up. So if if we need to reactivate that, we'd be happy to let people know how they can support you financially or just with goodwill and and good wishes. That's, I think that helps too. I think from my perspective this week, it felt like the world was against you and hopefully the little bit that we did and CMAB and their um, crisis management team intervening has helped. I can imagine that it, it probably felt like the world was against you for a few days there. Pretty much. Um, felt pretty hated. And um, I would just love to say to some of them, you know, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? Um, yeah. I, I, I don't understand that. Um, but it's, it's what we are um, dealing with. And I think as time goes on, our industry's becoming more savvy on um, how to handle it and what to do. Um, again, great partners. And then, you know, another um, help has been the County of Marin and most importantly, our Congressman Jared Huffman has been very, very supportive through this entire thing, as well as the National Park Service. You know, I. I they um they've been our partner you know since the the 70s and um we've grown we've grown together this park's grown and you know we hope to continue to have that good working relationship and they've been really supportive especially through some of the um activists and things that have been showing up. You know, I think they want to protect um, the ranchers' privacy as well. Yes, we all understand and realize it's a public park and it's public land, publicly funded, 
but there are just some areas that they, they do um, realize that um, not everybody needs to go. Sort of like one of the neighbors said, can anyone just walk into the White House at any time? No, there are some areas that are just closed um, and they've been good partners as well. Um, yeah, that's been my experience. They've been really great to work with and we, we just wish you the best, Jolyn. We'll be on the call with you guys next week. It's gonna be a long Thursday, but we'll get through it. And um, I think, I, I knew your dad pretty well. And I think he's pretty proud of you guys looking down. And I think all your ancestors that started this, they did it for a reason. They knew that preserving that land was better than developing it and making it, you know, San Francisco Peninsula North with houses stacked on top of each other. And, and you guys have worked to, to ensure that that has continued. So thanks for that. And thanks again for joining us. And we'll, we'll check back in with you on a happier note here in the next couple of months, I'm sure. Sounds good. Thanks again for the opportunity. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Um, a special thanks to Tiffany LaMondola, as always, for sharing this week's market update via our virtual kitchen table meeting. Um, Paul Souza, the Director of Environmental Affairs, for bringing us that Region 5 update. And um, really a big thanks to our dairy producer, JoLynn McClellan, for her willingness to share her story with our listeners. And remember to reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests. You can reach us at wud.pod at gmail.com. If you have any questions for Melissa, you can reach her at mlema at wudairies.com. And I can be reached at darby at wudairies.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Have a great week, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com.